excited about the possibility of spending this time with you because I am a father and I have two grown children and there are things that I would like to share with my grown children and that I would like for him to hear and how can I, how can you be able to communicate what you would like to your grown children and have them listen. You see, every one of us have learned uh, uh, at least a few things in life. I know I have and I know you have. But we'd like, we'd like to pass them on to our kids, either to benefit them or at least to prevent them from making some of the same crazy mistakes that you and I made. You know, passing on our wisdom really uh, to our kids is one of the functions that God has established for us as parents to do. <laughs> oh, it was that, that, that simple. One of my friends of mine uh, built a house, his first house, and did a fabulous job. But the uh, builder had uh, this friend uh, to do all the landscaping. So he spent a great deal of time of picking the bushes and the trees and the plants and the, uh, the sidewalk and all those kinds of things that goes into landscaping. And then he invited his father over one time to just see what he had accomplished. Well, you can guess what happened. As the dad walked through the, around the house, he talked about this tree being too close. That's the wrong kind of bush that was selected there. It should have been some other kind of bush. And that he should have done this and should have done that. And, and this tree really needs more shade. Or that, that tree is too close to the house because when it gets older, it's going to brush up against the house. And just as they went around each corner of the house, it was real clear that my friend did nothing right. Now, you see, his dad had a wealth of landscaping experience. But the one thing the dad did not have, and that was a good delivery system. In fact, it was really a poor delivery system. Among other things, what we're going to do is how to discuss a delivery system that is more apt to be received by our adult children. After all, we would like, again, for them to profit from our mistakes or from our wisdom and experience and maybe prevent them from experiencing some things that we have done. Probably the first thing that I would have you consider in your mind, now this is going to take a change, I understand that, but I have you consider making this change. The first thing I have you think of is ask for permission before you share. Now, I, I realize in your mind you says, excuse me, just wait a minute, let's clarify some roles here. I am the parent, they are the kid, they need to listen to me. Well, can I offer some advice at this point to you? See, it's a fact of life that unsolicited advice tends to be rejected and it creates possible hurt feelings, especially if there was not a previous pattern of mutual respect and trust as they were growing up. Because, because unwanted and, and unsolicited information tends to shut the door of the mind. That explains real clearly why lectures and sermons from us as parents tend to be very ineffective with our son or our daughter. You see, you have to choose if you want to be heard or if you just want to unload something off your chest. Now, if you want to unload some information to them, you've got to make this decision whether you want them to hear the information or reject it. And that's going to be part of your choice. So you have to decide whether you're going to vent 
you just feel you've got to get something off your chest or you really want to help. But may I just alert you to something? Venting is a very poor relationship builder. If you're planning on unloading and you just feel you've got to tell them this, you know, you can do that. But the downside of that is it's going to probably build some block walls between you and them. If you just want to feel better, it usually means someone else is going to feel bitter. And you know who that someone else is. But if you want to help them, then you want to help them. Uh, then you want to be open. To, you, you want them to be open to receive it. That's why I re- underscore again, unsolicited advice can create anger when you tell grown chil- children or your kids what they either do not want to hear or they're not ready to hear. You see, anger is one way to avoid the feelings of guilt, shame, fear, or responsibility that unwanted advice may bring up. Listen, even our Lord Jesus withheld information from his disciples because they were not ready to receive it. You can read in John 16:12 yourself these words, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The disciples were not able to receive some information that he was giving them. Any more, they were not able to receive any more spiritual truth at that time. Their hearts were basically hardened. Their concern was for their own preeminence in, the, in an earthly kingdom. Um, they saw no need for Jesus' death and all kinds of sorrow had, uh, about his departure had overtaken them. They were in tremendous amount of dismay over that especially over the prophecy of a traitor among them, along with the prediction of their own desertion, uh, rendered them really inattentive and sensitive to more spiritual truth. Even the Apostle Paul had to adjust his counsel because of the, the immaturity of his listeners. Again, you can read in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. Paul says, listen, I, brethren, he's talking to these people, could not speak to you as to spiritual men but as to men of flesh, as to, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. Why? For you were not able to receive it. Indeed, indeed, even now you're not able. Why? Because you're still in the flesh or still being motivated selfishly. You see, at that time, their way of thinking and living was only beginning to be transformed. They were still generally influenced by the worldly, by worldly thinking and belief systems. In fact, even the writer of the book of Hebrews, he, he's, he senses that some, some frustration in Hebrews 5, uh, 11 through 12, where he could not, could, could not give them information because they were not ready to receive it. You see, furthermore, unsolicited advice could result in building walls and not relationships. You say, why is that the case? Well, the kids, you know, to them, your unsolicited advice only reinforces a parent-to-child relationship. It does not underscore an adult-to-adult relationship. That's why Valerie Weiner in her book, The Nesting Syndrome, states, to foster more of an adult-to-adult communication, avoid all cost, at all cost, Uh, a stream of instruction and educational corrections that may have been imposed on them in their earlier years. 
when the children were younger. But asking permission first opens the door of their mind to receive that information. You say, what benefit is that to me? Well, first of all, it gives them the control of their information gate of their mind. And that they deserve as adults. You say, well, why should they? Well, honestly, they need that control because they are personally responsible for their own actions and the consequences of those actions to God, whether they believe in God or not. Now, Romans 14, uh, 10 and 12 says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? You say, wait a minute, that's talking about brother-and-brother relationships. I understand, but read on. He, gives, he makes that application based on a general principle. Well, what's that principle? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. He takes that principle and applies it in brother and sister in Christ relationships. In John 9, 20, 21, Jesus healed a blind man. And his parents were asked, or being quizzed by the religious leaders, you know, how this man became able to see. And his parents said, they said, with the same principle, they said, his parents answered and said to them, we know that this is our son, we'll accept that. And that he was born blind, we know that. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Then they made the statement, he is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. He is responsible for himself. You see, it shows, when you ask for permission to share, it shows respect, especially when you don't force something or someone to listen to you. This reflects and reinforces a, an adult, adult roar, <laughs> role, not roar, when you respect their wishes not, get this, not to advise. In an extreme illustration, the Apostle Paul did this in Acts 18.6, and Paul well, uh, did this in Corinth. He says, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, you know, they just did not want to listen to him. He shook his garments off and said to them, you know, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles, which he never did. He kept coming back to the Jews. But he acknowledged, he had to acknowledge, that these people do not want to listen it's my place from this point on to zip my lip towards them. Because asking permission or appropriate questions also creates curiosity. You know, curiosity is the fertile soil for learning. Jesus often used questions before he taught. In Matthew 16, 13, Jesus made the statement, uh, Who do people say the Son of God is? Hmm. Questions work well as long as they are not they don't form an interrogation. That is the immediate turnoff. Well, when he had, Jesus asked that question, uh, they gave an answer. And then he turned to them and says, Now, well, who do you say that I am? You see, this question and, and, and answer that the Apostle Paul method of communication and Jesus' method of communication is some of the most important information in the New Testament is conveyed question and answer. For, exact, for example, in the book of Romans, Romans uh, 6, 1 through 2. It says, Paul, again, writing to the church of Rome, he says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? <laughs> may it never be. How can we who, who died to sin live in it? But all through that heavy doctrinal book of Romans, it's question and answer. 
But if you have uh, asked for advice, you know, they've, they've asked you for advice, man, the door is wide open. Go for it and share. But maybe just a, a caution here that Stockman and Graves in their book, Growing Up Children Who Won't Grow Up, the caution they issue here is discern if your kids are asking you for advice or are they desiring you to take responsibility for their decisions. So we can talk a whole lot on this alone, but just, just take a step back and say to yourself, uh, when I do this, I am going to purpose in my heart to ask for permission to share when possible. Then the second thing I would suggest you to consider, and I, I explain this quite often in counseling sessions, please consider how you ask or share the permission, for, uh, the information. Well, how should you ask? Well, can I just give you some general things that you, I'm sure you're only aware of? In asking your questions, you may want to be aware of at least three things. One, your body language. Second, tone of voice. And probably, as much as we, it's hard for us to believe this, your content, because that really is the least of the form of communication. Because 80% of all communication, especially in the family, is nonverbal. You can wrinkle your forehead and begin to say something, or you can have an open face and begin to say something, and it'll be heard. See, communication starts with the body language before the very first word is even spoken. In fact, that's 55% of your communication. How many times, uh, you know, grown children or, you know, young parents have said to me, well, my dad or my mom started lecturing, talked to me, you, said, you should have seen their face. I mean, their face said it all. Well, that's what we're talking about. See, uh, through this, you make the initial impression within the very first three to seven seconds. But an open face will convey a thousand positive unspoken messages before you even say a word. And frankly, a, a frown or a scowl will convey disagreement, disapproval, and, and one thing you don't want to convey is rejection again before you say a word. But you know something? A smile can help you break through otherwise impenetrable barriers with your grown children. Just a smile or an open face. Also, many experts agree that eye contact is one of the most important sources of body talk. How many times have I had grown children say to me, but my mom or my dad won't even look at me. In fact, they look through me instead of looking at me. And that's very hurtful. You know, tone of voice really only conveys about 38% of your communication. However, over the telephone, where so much of this happens, that percentage increases up to 87%. Say, so, all right then, uh, okay, how should I ask? Well, I'm, may I just give you some suggestions to think about? First of all, you might say, quote, may I, may I offer or make a suggestion? Or, um, are you open for a suggestion? Or, May I ask you a question regarding whatever? One that uh, I've used a lot myself. Would it be appropriate for me to offer or make a suggestion here? Or may I share my opinion or observation about that? Now, sometimes you have to use the phrase, <laughs> is this subject open for discussion? Because it may not be. Or you can say something, in fact, um, do you want me to comment on this? Or may I offer a different perspective? Or would you like another opinion on this? Uh, 
Would you like for me to offer a suggestion? You know, these are all sound very close to the same. Uh, is there something you'd like uh, for me to do or comment about this? See, note again, an attitude of heart in all these things. Is you're reflecting respect, you're reflecting humility, and that is behind all of these questions. Now the question comes up, says, what if they say no? Well, you've got a choice there. And I'm going to tell you about that later on, if they say no. But generally speaking, ask questions that will help them connect some dots of life on their own. You know, sometimes some of the things that we want to tell them, you could help them guide, you can help guide them to the same conclusion, especially if you ask some appropriate questions. It doesn't sound like they're getting the third degree. See, deeper learning really comes from self-discovery or uh, energy ex uh, expended to find out the truth. An illustration would you, uh, you could use, or I've used before in a situation, how would your wife feel if you didn't ask her input before you bought this boat? You say, this guy bought this boat and he didn't ask her advice. How would, you, how would your wife feel if you didn't ask her input before you buy this boat? So you're connecting buying the boat and how she might feel. Now you can say, you know, your wife's not going to be real happy about you buying this boat. But when you connect, help them connect those dots, they, in their mind, if they connect them, they're going to listen. You know, it's important to, uh, number three here, is to clarify. Clarify or reinforce that your advice is your opinion and your perspective. Now, <laughs> this is a hard one because you've got to distinguish between fact and opinion. You see, fact is based on verifiable truth or proof. It's not based on, quote, I feel. An opinion is usually based on, a, on anecdotal information, life experiences, things you observe, and though that's okay. Adults perceive that uh, uh, what they, ex uh, they experience in life, we do as that's true. That's the way it's always been. That isn't always the case. You know, but opinions uh, given as fact reflect arrogance on our part, like we know everything. It reflects immaturity. You know, only children know all the, know everything. And sometimes it just reflects a possible need to control somebody, which we will discuss later. Uh, in, this, in one sense, opinionated people are information controllers. They control by their information. And this kind of control comes really from a fear in our own heart. It doesn't come by faith. Anytime we have to control or be in control, it's not by faith. That, my friend, is by fear. Opinionated people tend to feel inadequate, and frankly, they're bolstered by their pride. But no adult enjoys, really, enjoys being controlled by another adult, even if that adult or those adults are their parents. So support your, your spiritual or your, your moral advice from a, a clear passage of Scripture, but only when you have asked for permission to show it. You say, why do I have to do that? Well, you don't have to, but I am going to suggest some things here. Otherwise, it is interpreted as preaching, or sermon number 37 see, and that is translated as further disrespect and rejection by them towards you. Frankly, preaching or lectures by parents is one of the least effective means of communication 
on a one-to-one basis. Jesus engaged in two-way conversation with Nicodemus in John 3. The Samaritan woman in the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, John 4. It was a con- it was a conversation. Preaching really should be left to preachers. And not all parents are preachers, although we sometimes slip into that role. Avoid expressing your opinion that is made to sound uh, sound scriptural. For example, a wife can say to her children, uh, adult child who's deciding to homeschool their kids, saying, "Honey, I don't feel God wants you to homeschool your children. Well, first of all, you're not God. (laughs) And the word feel means that's your opinion. And you may not want those children homeschooled. That's understandable from your perspective. But that's really their decision. But when we name drop God into our opinions, that really is hurtful to to the grown sons or daughters. In fact, the doctrines or precepts of men, and these are opinions not based on Scripture, are referred to in the Bible as doctrines of demons. You can cross-reference that with 1 Timothy 4.1. But be able, be ready to reference it, your opinion, when it's asked for, and especially when it's challenged. Now, it's important for us to remember the truth can always stand investigation. That's why we see in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you, with meekness and with fear. You see, God encourages all of us not to take religious statements at face value without checking them out from Scripture. In fact, when you look at Acts 17, 11, this is spoken of the Bereans. They were more fair-minded or more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? in that they received the word of God with all readiness, and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Remember, the cults cannot stand investigation. They cannot. But truth can always stand the why questions, especially if they're for information. If they're just for argument, sure, I understand that. You just bail out. Avoid proof texting, whatever you do, or taking a passage out of context of Scripture to support this opinion. This is really a form of spiritual abuse, and that is not really encouraged by the Word of God. Distinguish, furthermore, between giving a suggestion and delivering a proclamation. Now, there are four key words that reflect a a parent-to-child proclamation. And I, I, I see these same four words. I say them many times to warn people. But take these four words and just be aware of them. They're not bad words. They just reinforce a parent-child uh, relationship. And the, and the four words are should, ought, must, and need. You need to get that transmission looked at before you get stuck in the road. You ought, you should, you must. You know, an alternative way of saying the same thing would be, look, may I offer a suggestion? It sounds to me like that noise is getting louder. Uh, what would you think about getting that looked at? And you, and you can go ahead and offer your car as a, a car temporarily or offer to follow them to the dealership and take them back home. You make all kinds of offers if it's, if it's appropriate. But you see, it's, it, you can, instead of talking down to them, it's talking with them. Because remember... 
Adult children are a hundred times more open to a suggestion than a proclamation, a decree that's got those four loaded words, should, ought, must, and need. They're much, much more open. And please distinguish between uh, wrong and different. You know, wrong is a moral issue. But when someone doesn't do it your way, that's not a moral issue. You know, the difference, uh, uh, wrong is a moral issue, but different is an opinion issue. All of us differ with God. In fact, in, in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, God says, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, your, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways uh, higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. We all differ with God. But in Romans 14, handles this issue in, an, in, a, in a relationship between two brothers or two sisters in Christ, the principle of wrong and different, as illustrated by the meat offered to idols issue and the observance of the Sabbath day or holy days. And you can read that on your own, but you can see that there are two different groups have two different opinions. And God makes it real clear at that point that each one's entitled to their opinion. Furthermore, allow them the freedom to take or leave your advice, whatever you do, without shaming them. What would be a shaming statement? Well, I told you so. Listen, remember, adulthood has three characteristics. And the three crucial characteristics is choice, responsibility or culpability for the choice, and consequences for the choice. So they have choice, responsibility, and consequences. Therefore, they should have the freedom to take and they should have the freedom to leave your advice. That's why I say allow them the freedom to take or leave your advice without shaming them. You see, freedom to reject advice gives them the greater freedom, really, <laughs> believe it or not, to ask for it. One adult child described what she attributed her close relationship with her mother to. And doctors Campbell and Chapman refer to this in their book, Parenting Your Adult Child. And I quote, I think it's because mom allowed me to grow up. She does not treat me like a child. She does not tell me what to do. Because of that, I respect her ideals. In fact, I often ask her advice. I don't think I would do that if she tried to control me. Remember I said sometimes our advice is a means of control, and that's what she is referring to here. You see, our whole basis of relationship with God is based on choice to obey or the choice not to obey. That's why when Joshua spoke adult to adult to Israel and emphasized that they had a choice, we read in Joshua 24, 15, it says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the, and there's the options. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods, the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, well, that's another choice. But then Joshua came back, having had this adult, adult conversation with these people. He says, but as for me, in my house, we'll serve the Lord. Moses emphasized the responsibility and the power of a choice. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, he says, I, and he's having a pretty firm conversation here with Israel. He says, I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you 
that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both of you, both you and your descendants, may live. Again, he has, even though he'd like to tell him what to do, you've got to do this, he set the option before them and, and, and pleaded with him. He didn't command, but pleaded with him to make the right choice. You see, their choice not to follow your advice, your adult children's choice not to follow your advice, may not be a demonstration of disrespect for you. Although you may translate it that way, that may not be the case. It could be an exercise of adulthood for them. You say, well, they don't have to do that. But they don't know that. That's why separate yourself from who you are in Christ, from your advice, what you do for Christ. If they reject what you say, you're still accepted in Christ. Your value, your position, is not based on whether they take your advice or leave it. You're secure, already secure, in your personal relationship with Christ. I like the way Paul laid it out here. I, in Galatians 2.20, Look, I've been crucified with Christ. That's true. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that awesome? When you know who you are, you're more free to share and ask for permission uh, and giving advice. But if you're insecure in yourself, if they don't do what you say, you'll shift to anger to try to get them to do it. Colossians 3.3 3 also points out to us, you and I have died. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. We're in a tremendous good place. And actually, what's hard to do next is to emotionally disconnect yourself from your suggestions. I understand that's hard. Well, it's the same principle in evangelism. You have the responsibility to sow the Word of God, to water the Word of God that you've sown. That's your circle of responsibility. But choice and change are God's responsibility. And you see this defined again in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 6 through 7. Uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he who plants anything, nor he waters, but God is the one who gives the increase. Paul had to disconnect often when he was rejected by the Jews. We've talked about this earlier already. Acts 13, 46, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you rejected it and judged yourself unworthy of the everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. He just kept doing this. But to emotionally disconnect means you trust God to accomplish his ultimate will regardless how they respond to you and regardless if they're believers or not. God is not there wringing his hands because unbelievers are doing things that he cannot control. I realize it's an enigma or a mystery that they might openly reject your input, but often they welcome the advice. And that, that's hard for us to understand that. And by all measures, Avoid the immature position that some of us tend to give. Well, if you're not going to take my advice, I'm not going to give it to it, to you. Well, actually, this is kind of a form of shaming on our part. It's a little immature as well. This reflects the flesh. It doesn't reflect faith. 
And how would we feel if God did this to us? We would not have much of Scripture today if God dealt with us the way I just described. We sometimes deal with our adult children. Dr. Harriet Lerner uh, made this observation in her book, The Dance of Anger, that those closest to us may have the greatest difficulty considering our advice if it comes across as though we have the final word on their lives. Did you get that? The final word on their lives. That's why it's important that your words, your attitudes, and your body language convey that you strongly believe that they have the final word, not you. Why? Again, because they have the final responsibility themselves before God. This is one of the ways of God. Matthew uh, 12, 35-37 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will be held account of, uh, of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. And this does not mean just parents. This also means your adult children. In fact, just the fact that you choose, excuse me, the fact that you are close to them as a relative has a, has a built-in potential rejection factor here. Even, even our Lord experienced this in his own family. In Matthew thirteen fifty-seven, it says, So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, Look, a prophet's not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. Your input may be valued, but only if it has been asked for, and only as advice which they can consider, but are not obligated. Do you hear that word? They're not obligated to take it. Number five, allow them to learn from their mistakes. That's right, or trials, or failures, or misfires. You see, you have, uh, you have realized and have come to realize that God puts in our way what's called reproofs or corrections of life, and these are one of the ways of God of instructing us. See, Solomon explained the importance of instruction by parents, which provides guidance, protection, and counsel. When it is not heeded, however, God brings in reproofs or discipline to correct direction, but it's not to punish. Christ has taken all the believer's punishment on the cross. Therefore, discipline is for directional change in our lives. Like Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is the lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Hebrews 12.16 For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Uh, 12.11 Hebrews uh, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Ouch. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained, not punished by it. Proverbs thirteen eleven, twelve says, My son, look, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. You see, your task and my task is to let go and let them learn from life. By the way, letting go also means forgetting any notions that you always know what is best for your son and daughter. 
Uh, he will ha uh, have to learn that for himself. It's, it is the only way he'll learn sometimes or she will learn. In fact, you know, uh, to know what is always best means a parent would have to be God to know in every situation what is best for the adult child. The parent may know what is best for the child, but not the child, and we understand that. Samson's parents thought they were, they knew best regarding uh, his choice of a wife. They understandably did not know what God was doing, uh, going to do through Samson's rebellion. In Judges 14, uh, 3 and 4, it says, Then his father's mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren? Or among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from these uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and his mother did not know that it was from the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. It's just kind of the two sides of one coin. One was from God's perspective and one was from the parents' perspective. True, self-discovery is a very lonely and difficult course. We all understand that. But stepping back and allowing the other person to struggle with his or her own problems is not the same as emotionally withdrawal. The Apostle Paul struggled emotionally as he watched his spiritual children struggle all over the place 2 Corinthians 11, 28, 29 says, You know, besides other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. He says, By the way, who is weak? And I am not weak, and I feel it so deeply. Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? He just he identifies with him. In fact, he even says in Romans 9, 1 through 3, regarding... Uh, some things he says I tell you the truth in Christ I am not lying my conscience also bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brother the Jews my countrymen according to the flesh he he when he had to step back from the Jews it wasn't a, an emotional abandonment where he would just let them go he just knew he had to step back and let them go Honestly, protecting your adult children from life's pain is usually done not for the benefit of the adult child, but to protect yourself and myself from feeling their pain. Doctors Campbell and Chapman made this observation. Parents cannot bear to hear uh, the thought of a child, even an adult child, having any pain or problems out in the real world. Ironically, this is the most prevalent this is most prevalent in parents who have had to survive great hardships and have emerged as competent people. Instead of realizing that their hardships are uh, instead of realizing that their hardship, hardships are what made them strong and competent, they desire that their children have problem-free lives with no character-building trials. They forgot that it takes preparation and training to be able to function and prosper in a world that is far more uh, from being user-friendly. Part of this training is to experience difficulty. There is no way for children to learn um, that 
than to go through the normal stresses of life, end quote. True, it's understandable. We do not want them. We want to protect our grandkids from suffering because they are our joy and our crown. We see that in Proverbs 17, 6. When we see our grandkids have got to go through these things because of what their parents are doing, yes, that hurts. But we may have to take a, a step back and say to our side of our minds, adopt a positive attitude about their trials, about what they're going through, and and see them as a learning experience for both them and for you. In fact, I love that statement. Every time I hear them going through a difficult time, I say to myself, wow, what a learning experience. In fact, uh, Valerie Weiner also mentioned in her book, Nesting, the first step nesters can take to overcome their fear of making mistakes requires that they change their thinking. They should learn to accept and experience mistakes and to know that these are learning experiences. What a learning experience. James 1, 1 through James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's a learning experience. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. We call that independent adults. A friend of mine's uh, son got busted for drugs. The first words out of my mouth was, What a learning experience! It turned out to be a major learning experience. And by the way, this will be a learning experience whether their trial is self-inflicted or not. You read in Psalm 119.71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 119.68, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Ah, learning experience. Well, what are you supposed to do? Avoid short-circuiting the learning process of your adult children by stepping in to solve all of their problems. Again, Chapman and Campbell, one the medical doctor, one of the psychologists, makes this observation. Maturity is the ability to work through your own problems with appropriate counsel, not parental fixing. By you allowing your adult child the freedom to take whatever course of action they feel appropriate, this confirms to them that you believe that they are still adults, even in an emergency. Do you get that? They're still adults, even in an emergency. You know, be generous with your love, acceptance, your encouragement, maybe your guidance when requested, or you've asked permission. True, this is harder than just stepping in and solving the problem, is stepping back and not doing that. Refer them whenever possible to resources that can help them outside the family. Remember, you and I are in a position of influence, not necessarily change. Most parents are not able to give their children the kind of specialized help they need, but they can encourage them to find professional assistance, a pastor, teacher, somebody that can help. Parents uh, are in this delicate position of urging without pushing and shoving. You know, often one of the underlying reasons an adult child returns home is because of depression, and, and they can't find maybe the right spouse, uh, satisfying activities, jobs, or have trouble making friends. But parents are usually not prepared, let alone trained, to deal with this kind of depression. 
since only one-third of depressions are biologically caused, it means at least oh, at least two-thirds of them are situational and medications are of little of no value in the treatment. Therefore, they need help outside, help that, may, uh, that might help bring shed some light on what precipitated the depression to begin with. Now, you can encourage, you can support. In fact, you can even create an atmosphere of healing but you cannot be their counselor or therapist as a general rule. Furthermore, let them learn how to respond and hear from God. If they do not listen to his word, you know, God's really clever. <laughs> he sends his works in uh, works to bear in their life. This is one of the ways of God. You see, God illustrates his, uh, illustrated this word works pattern in relationship to his own people, Israel. When Israel refused to listen to God's word, you know, they came from the prophets, he sent pagan kings to inflict pain to drive them, Israel, back to God. We read in Isaiah 5, 24 and 25, Therefore, as the tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapse in the flame, so their root uh, will become like rot and their blossom blow away as dust. Why? For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. On this account, the anger of the Lord has burned against his people, and he has stretched out his hand against them and struck them down. Notice word, then works. And the mountains quaked, and their corpse lie like refuge in the middle of the streets. For all his anger is not spent, but his hand is still stretched out in terms of the discipline he's bringing. You see, God explained the reason he records this, his, this, this word works concept pattern in the Old Testament. It was before our benefit that this is recorded for us who live in the New Testament times. We see that in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. And I quote, Now these things happen to them as an example. Happened is an imperfect verb, which means it's happened from time to time. And they are written... For our instruction, the word written is an imperfect verb, which means written from time to time, for our instruction, upon whom the end of the ages have come. In fact, the word instruction is made up of two words. The first one's mine. The second one is to place or to put, or to put in the mind. Or I think we would say to drive a point home. The habit of learning the hard way reflects the mindset of a fool or the simple ones. We see that reflected again in Proverbs 1. 20 through 20, around 20 through 33, a very long passage. I'll encourage you to read it on your own. Furthermore, often a crisis that they're going to be going through can be a wake-up call to to uh, wake up, wake up call to begin, or at least to refocus their attention back to God, or maybe to seek appropriate help. This is step two and step three in the 12-step program, where you. I,